This is Beyond the Coat, The Life of a Physician, a podcast to share the wisdom of experienced physicians to inspire, educate, and enrich the lives of listeners. I'm Maya, and I am a current medical student at the Wright State University Boonshaw School of Medicine in Dayton, Ohio. The opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of the Boonshaw School of Medicine or of any other organization or university. Please do not use this podcast for medical advice, but instead reach out to your doctor regarding medical concerns. So today, I am so excited to introduce Dr. Weber, Boonshaw School of Medicine's newest dean. Dr. Weber hails from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She graduated from the University of Pennsylvania Medical School and completed her internal medicine residency, including a chief year at the Graduate Hospital in Philadelphia. She earned her master's in healthcare management from the Harvard University Chan School of Public Health. Throughout her career thus far, she has served in many leadership and academic roles, including appointment to local and national leadership organizations. Throughout her career, she has shown compassion and dedication to lifting up those around her, and I am so excited to feature her today. Dean Weber, thank you so very much for being here and joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. I I really cherish uh, any opportunity to um, interact uh, with our students at Boonshaw and to um, to uh, talk about um, you know my journey, um, which has been a really re- rewarding one. So I'm really pleased to be here. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you outside of medicine. What are some of your hobbies and just some of your general interests? Sure. Well, um, I my most most of my passions really re- revolve around being outside, and I'm really passionate about the sport of rowing. Um, I got involved in rowing really as an adult after my my children. My children are now in their early 20s, but um, you know, when they're very young, you don't really have time for hobbies. But then as they were sort of getting into their elementary years, I had a patient who was a rower and kind of um, lured me into trying it one time. And I just fell in love with it. So I've been very actively rowing. When I lived in Philadelphia, I was a member of one of the boathouse rowing clubs. And since moving to Dayton, I've joined the Greater Greater Dayton Rowing Association. And then anything outdoors. So I love to hike and I've really found that there's some great hiking in the Dayton area, uh, lots yeah. of parks. Yeah, absolutely. That's very cool that you're able to continue um, this hobby that you love so much here in Dayton. So in general, what do, you, how, what do you feel initially sparked your interest in medicine? And did that spark stay the same as you continue throughout your training? Yeah, so I think that I first fell in love with the idea of helping people um, and I think one of the biggest influences on me was my mother. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. She never attended college herself. Um, My father was an engineer. But my mother was really involved in taking care of elderly people that lived on our street. She did a lot of volunteer work, and she just gravitated toward people who were um, in need. So um, elderly people who were shut-ins or didn't have any close family or, you know, lived alone. And she would um, call on them. She would help them get their groceries. She would check on them. And because I was the littlest of three children, I would tag along with her, um, sometimes out of boredom, but, but other times, I think most of the times out of fascination um, with these people. I, I just found elderly people to be all full of stories and full of very, really interesting Um, experiences. And so I would tag along and meet these people. And I think I really developed a love of older people. And then as I went along in school, 
Um, and as I got, you know, very interested in science and the science behind the human body, and um, those two things kind of, you know, I think kind of coalesce like they do for a lot of people that end up going into medical school, you know, but I didn't have any role models. I, I grew up um, in Erie, Pennsylvania, um, and the other side of the state from Philadelphia, and um, I did not have a lot of women role models in my family um, who had really gone into anything beyond sort of teaching or nursing. Those were the, the options kind of I, I thought I, I had in front of me. And um, I did some volunteer work at a hospital and with the idea that I might go into a career in nursing, but I, I felt like that wasn't exactly um, the right fit for me, that, I, that it, maybe I would want to have a more active role or a more active or a more leadership role in um, patient care. And so um, I went to college with the idea that I might want to go into you know, pre-med. Um, my older brother, who's six years my senior, uh, was pre-med and he had successfully gotten into medical school and uh, at that point in my life I, I said well I know I'm smarter than my older brother so if he did it I could probably do it um, and I think you know I went into um, general internal medicine and my practice has been um, you know general internal medicine usually is you know the sicker adult the older adult and I, I still to this day uh, gravitor, gravitate toward taking care of older people um, and, and people who are, um, tend to have complex diseases, multi-system diseases. Um, I find internal medicine to be very intellectually challenging. And I think that's why, you know, I was attracted to it. You know, it's the fact that you can, you know, maintain long-term relationships with people and get to know them over time. So the, the spark still remains, um, you know, remains glowing um, uh, through my career, even though you know, I've had quite a career in leadership, which has been, um, you know, in tandem with patient care activities over the years. That's really wonderful to see that that spark, um, which started out so strong and powerful when you were with your mom when you were younger, really just stayed the same, but also evolved at the same time. That's really cool that you're still mm -hmm. able to foster it in such a meaningful way. Yeah, I mean, it's hard once you get to leadership at a certain level, um, being a primary care physician, a general internist, um, how to do that in a way that's fair to your patients, fair to your colleagues, and then helps you live up to your leadership responsibilities. And the way that I've done that over um, the past several years is by um, working in resident teaching clinics, and that's what I'll be doing here in Dayton. Once I get a little bit more situated, I'll be working at the Five Rivers Clinic, helping to teach the internal medicine residents, and I'm very excited um, to be doing that soon. Oh, that's awesome. So touching back on um, your experience in medical school, what was it like going through medical school at the University of Pennsylvania? So, you know, I entered the University of Pennsylvania in 1987. It sounds like a million years ago. Um, graduated yeah. in 1991. Um, and at that time, it was very traditional. Um, we uh, had lectures all day. Um, usually started around eight or nine in the morning and went most of the day until three o'clock in the afternoon or something. We did not have hardly any active learning. Um, the, the coursework that we did in communication skills was quite rudimentary um, in, in, these, in, in that, uh, modern times. We did not have standardized patients. Those hadn't been thought of and, or invented yet. Um, we did not have simulation centers. Those had not been thought of or invented yet. So um, in comparison, I'm actually very jealous of, you know, 
medical school curricula today because I think you guys have such a more opportunity to have a very rich uh, learning experience. Um, we did not have the degree of student involvement as, as most medical schools do, and rightly so. Um, we were kind of told the way things were going to be, and that's the way it was, and nobody really asked us for, for many feed, much feedback. And I think our goal, most of it, was to get through and learn what we needed to learn and um, stay out of the dean's office, stay out of trouble. I mean, it's much different now. Like, deans, we want to know you guys. We, we want to mm -hmm. see you guys. It's just, it was a different time. I think we were considered lucky to be into medical school and just, um, you know, we kind of went with the program and that was it. <laughs> um, so I feel, and this is, I think my experience in medical school um, really informs what I do as a dean because I am so excited that medical education has come so far. I want the students to have a really good experience. I want them to have all those opportunities that I did not have, you know, to learn about you know, global health and economics and ethics and patient safety and quality, all these things that we didn't have, health system science, those, those fields didn't exist or weren't known even, you know, to that degree as they are now. And so it gives me a lot of pleasure to make medical education so much better, you know, than what I experienced. And, you know, not to say that it was all bad, but it certainly was not um, anything like, you know, what students now um, are able to experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it must be very interesting to come to Wright State where it is so very active learning and um, mm -hmm. it's a very type of flipped classroom type of situation, um, yes. which I know many of the students, um, including myself, definitely appreciate, especially as we get on to our uh, third and fourth yes. years, how impactful that is. Well, I mean, when you think about it, adults, this is how adults learn, and especially medical learning, to, to um, have an have a active learning, especially if it's case-based, about a patient's case, you know, a case, to see a patient and learn about it. That's how you learn in medicine, um, not by somebody, you know, lecturing to you. Um, and it's very interesting because the whole flipped classroom model, that came about in K through 12 education. And it's funny because most of the innovations in medical education came about you know, through the, in, through the K, K through 12. We're a little bit late to the party usually in medical <laughs> education. We're a little bit stodgy. Um, but this is the third, this is the third medical school that I've um, done curricula and active learning. So I helped to start a medical school in Northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, Geisinger Commonwealth School of Medicine. And we did, um, you know, medical, medical school started from the ground up. We did all active learning from the get-go. And then when I was at Drexel, we took a lecture-based sort of, uh, you know, what, what I would call a legacy curriculum and transformed it into the modern flipped style of learning. And then uh, here we are at Wright State who, you know, come here that, that, that this work's already been done. But of course, we're always on a journey to make things better. Medical education doesn't stand still um, as we just discussed in the, you know, 25 plus years since when I was a medical student. Um, you know, things have changed quite a bit and they'll continue to change as we learn, you know, what makes people succeed um, as learners. So it's very exciting. I'm, I'm glad that um, we're on this journey together at Wright State. I'm super glad to be here. It's my officially my starting my third month. Yay, so exciting. Yep. So um, a little taking a little bit more into that, what drew you to uh, Boone Shopton Wright State 
specifically? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I felt that I was ready for a dean's opportunity to be an opportunity to be a dean and take that next step in my career. There are very few women medical school deans. I think it's remarkable that I'm the third female dean at Wright State. Um, that's remarkable. That says something about this institution um, that they are accepting as women at, at in, in women at this high of leadership. Only about 16% of deans of uh, medical schools are women. And uh, that's that, you know, wow. we have a long way to go there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to take that step. Um, I wanted to do it at a community-based medical school. And this is actually the only one that I looked at and the only one that I applied to. Um, it, it was a bonus that my brother, my older brother, the one I spoke to, spoke about uh, earlier, he lives here in Dayton and I had been to Dayton oh. many times to visit. And uh, it's a short plane ride or a reasonable drive away from Philadelphia where my two young adult children are. So it all kind of fell into place at the right time. Um, honestly, to, to move in the middle of a pandemic and make a big change, I think mm -hmm. um, I've been called an adventurous person and I think <laughs> I have to, uh, I, I think I've lived up to that title um, with doing all this in the middle of, um, in the situation we're in. But it's been very fun. People have been very kind. I look forward to seeing Dayton, um, you know, at a time when it's kind of a little bit more normal and you know, to be able to meet people and interact with people a little bit more normal way. That does sound very adventurous and I'm, I'm very happy that you've started to make Dayton your home and it really does feel like home for you. Yes, we're, we're getting there. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and earlier you also mentioned that you um, were very involved with starting up the medical school at Geisinger Health as well as um, changing some of the curricula at Drexel. What drove you initially to build that medical school and kind of subsequently what drove you to start changing the curricula at Drexel? Hmm. Well, so um, at the Commonwealth Medical College, which was what it was um, called initially before it um, joined forces with Geisinger and became Geisinger Commonwealth, um, that, so, so that medical school was started by a group of community leaders, um, both physicians and business leaders, who um, really felt that um, care in the region was being impacted by the shortage of physicians, that um, um, young people from their region who aspired to become physicians would go to Philadelphia for medical school and sort of never come back, you know? And um, it's actually very akin to what happened 40 years ago with the starting of, of BSOM, Boonshoft. It wasn't called that at the time. It was the Wright State University College of Medicine. And, um, same vision, basically to create physicians, um, you know, to serve the region and to have a preference from people from the region, thinking that, you know, they'll stick around and, and, and go into practice here and help to serve patients. And that was the vision in Northeastern Pennsylvania. It was really kind of a, a region that they had difficulty recruiting physicians to. And, um, you know, a lot of money had to be raised and a lot of work had to be done. And in a very short period of time, they were able to um, successfully get that school up and running. And um, this has been replicated around the country. There's been 22 new medical schools since the year 2000. Um, it, that, that's just allopathic ones. There's been others um, in the osteopathic uh, world. So, um, you know, we've seen quite an uptick in U.S. medical schools because we realize that there's a, um, a shortage. 
Um, when I came to Drexel, the challenge was a little different. Um, it wasn't a startup. It was taking a traditional school and innovating, making it more, making the curriculum more modern and making some other changes. And that's a different, um, much different challenge than starting a medical school from, from nothing. Both of them were really fun and I learned a lot um, in both of those uh, experiences. And both of those experiences really kind of um, were on the job training for my job now as Dean. And I think that those experiences really helped me to, you know, there are a lot of transferable leadership experiences that'll help me in my role here. It sounds like this drive to learn more about the world around you or the community around you and then work, do what you can mm -hmm. to make it better seems to be a really strong um, trend throughout your career. And that's really wonderful for me as a student is and um, seem to be positioned to hear. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think I really, I think you've hit on something I really enjoy, what I've really enjoyed in my career. I actually think of everything from the, from the lens of patient care. I mean, once, mm -hmm. you know, a doctor, always a doctor, it never leaves you. And so I, I've all, I'm always thinking anything I'm doing is like, how is this going to make patient care better? You know, how are what are we doing mm -hmm. at the medical school going to train physicians better so that patients ultimately will receive better care? And, you know, in the time that we're in, I think, you know, what better demonstration of the need for, um, you know, improved health care, improved health care education, improved public health than right now um, with the pandemic. So it's been very rewarding and it's a constant learning experience for sure. Yes. So um, I, lo I do, do love what you said about always keeping, changing the focus to make sure the focus is on um, patient care. I feel like that does so much for just not only enhancing the patient care, but really a relationship with the patient and how you feel towards medicine and working to prevent some of those feelings of burnout. I am curious though, as you've gone through different roles as a physician, as a leader, as an educator, how have you maintained your sense of empathy and what advice do you have for um, other physicians out there and as well as medical students to keep that sense of empathy as we go forward? Hmm. Well, um, maintaining empathy has never been hard for me. In fact, my, um, my partners in practice over the years have, have told me, some of my male partners have told me I have an overactive empathy gene, <laughs> and uh, if there is such a thing. I think that it comes from my roots, um, from my mother in particular. Um, I just, um, my heart goes out to people who are suffering. And, um, you know, sometimes that's, that's those, those are students, those are residents, mm -hmm. right? The, and and yeah. not just patients. Um, sometimes they're my colleagues who are suffering. I mean, right now, there are a lot of people in healthcare suffering. And so my challenge is not sometimes maintaining empathy, it's maintaining balance, you know, um, of not being, um, not having it take too much out of you. And I think, you know, for some people um, that can result in burnout. Um, I think um, I heard, I've heard some very interesting ideas about burnout. I think um, the, the thing that I've heard about burnout is that it comes from a more moral distress so that, um, if you're put in a position where you're having to make choices, in, in, a, a choice which each side of it has a has a moral issue with. So, in other words, um, there are two good principles. One is I need rest and I need to be able to spend time with my family. The other one is I have a, a lot of patients to take care of. Right. So, 
you're having to make a difficult moral choice between yourself and the work that has to be done, which is endless in medicine, right? There's never mm -hmm. a shortage of, of things to do. At some point, you have to decide that it's, your patients are tucked in enough. You've done enough for today. Everything will be okay until tomorrow. And so um, there's a lot of situations in medicine where you can identify that there's a, um, a choice that physicians have to make that is morally, um, there's a moral issue on either side. And I, I think that that's an interesting way to think about burnout. I think that's where most burnout comes from. Um, that people are, people go into medicine because they want to do good. And um, when you're faced with choices that no matter what you do, um, you know, sometimes it's no matter what I do, I can't save this patient. No matter how hard I work, I can't save this patient. Mm -hmm. And you carry that grief around with you. Um, you have to learn how to let it go. Um, and that's a very important skill that, you know, we have to teach people um, during training. I think there's a lot more um, training and discussion that goes on um, where people now talk about those kind of things and how it affects you. But when I was training and um, in practice earlier, people never talked about that. They just, you know, mm -hmm. took that burden around with them. So, you know, I think physicians, we carry a lot with us and uh, it's important that we recognize that and attend to it. I feel like there was so much of what you just said that really resonates, especially, especially now. I think that idea of balance and knowing when to step, step back and acknowledge what you've done or what's been going on mm -hmm. and process that, I think it's something that is very much not as, not as much of a part of medical training. And I really appreciate that you're from your perspective is we need to make it more of a part of medical training. We need to normalize that um, because that keeps physicians well too. That keeps patients um, still getting the care that they deserve. Mm -hmm. um, another aspect of that that I really resonated with was also just this idea of unbalanced. And mm -hmm. in society today, as we're seeing with the COVID-19 pandemic, with the structural racism, there are some, there's a lot that's not balanced. And these two pandemics have really shed light on some dark and scary fractures within society. How do you mm -hmm. feel your yeah. time, um, your deanship or your time as a dean, how do you feel that these pandemics have, are impacting this role for you? And how do you feel mm -hmm. you'd like to approach that um, at Boonshaw? Yeah. Well, my first job as dean is to get everybody through this. I mean, there's all kinds of things I need to do with the school, but honestly, the number one thing is I've got to get everybody through this next period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we feel like there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but the tunnel's awfully long still, we feel, and um, we, we've got to get everybody through that. But I really have some really big aspirations for this school, and two of them are related um, to diversity and include One is diversity and inclusion and equity, and the other is to raise our extent of community involvement and community engagement and to be leaders as a school in the school um, in improving the health of our community. So if you look at the community health assessments that, that have been done for our surrounding com communities in the Miami Valley, um, our life expectancy has actually decreased over the last period of time by a few years. Um, after COVID, that's going to be even marked. Um, we see not only in our area, but around the country, these increased um, health disparities related to 
people's socioeconomic status to their um, their race. Um, and it's not okay. It's not fair. Um, we want to raise everybody up. Medical schools should lead the way in doing that in their communities. And within our medical schools, we need to, within Boonshoft, we need to make sure that we are uh, making sure that everybody here um, is justly um, treated, that we're a beacon of social justice and equity um, so that we can be an example to others in our community. And I have some very high aspirations around that. And the pandemic has really, really highlighted those um, health disparities that um, people of color are getting this disease more and getting sicker from it more. And that's not okay. So we've got a lot of work to do, not just at Boonshoft, but you know, as a country. Um, one thing that I'm very proud of is that we have um, done a very good job of admitting a diverse student body, but uh, we have a lot of work to do as far as um, supporting them while they're here. Um, our faculty diversity um, is not what it should be. So we've got a lot of work to do and I'm very excited to, to get started. Yeah, I am, even though I will be graduating in a few, um, in a few months, I'm really excited to see all of these ideas come together and to just keep making Boonshoft a better place. That's, I'm, I'm very excited to see all of that. So a we're reaching the end of our podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I, we have a couple of questions that we love to ask every participant on the show. And the first is, how would you like to be remembered as a physician? Hmm. Yes, um, I, I think I would just like to be remembered as a, somebody who's made a difference. You know, my, my, I, I think the way you said it is, is apt. I, I just am here to make everything um, a, a better place, right? To make a better, to make a, uh, it's almost maternal, in my maternal instinct. You know, when you have children, you're trying to make things better for them. Um, and I, I think in my career, I just want to leave um, things things better than I found them. And so I think I'd want to be remembered as somebody that made things better uh, for people. And, you know, somebody who was warm, who made pe people feel welcomed, feel comforted. Um, I think as leaders, um, especially now, you know, um, I, I think we can provide a great deal of, of comfort and calm, you know, calm within the storm. I was told in my previous position that um, we had a lot of crises. We had, um, I was leading the helm of the a senior vice dean at Drexel, leading the helm of the education programs when the big teaching hospital there closed in the summer of 2019. Okay. And it was sheer and utter chaos. And what I heard from people was that my presence was a calm one and that I provided a, a lot of uh, calm leadership. And that's a huge compliment. I feel like I really made a difference in that, um, in that, in the, and, uh, so I think that's how I'd like to be remembered. Oh, that's a wonderful compliment. Yeah, I might not have felt calm. Um, it's very interesting <laughs> that I'm able to telegraph calm, though I'm not feeling calm, but um, that's, that's, that's a good talent to have, I guess. Yes, it definitely sounds like a good skill. <laughs> <laughs> Acquired over many years of practice, I guess. <laughs> and um, my last question for you. Um, for your medical students listening to this now, maybe years from now, um, what wisdom would you like to pass on to them and what would you like them to know? Oh, so um, this is a wonderful profession. I think people can get very cynical about medicine. 
Yeah. And people can question. Uh, there's a there's something called the graduation questionnaire that fourth year medical students and therefore you and your peers will fill out before you graduate. It's a national thing all medical students do in their fourth year. And one of the questions they ask is, if you had to do it all over again, would you choose to go into medicine? And it's very disturbing to me to see that sometimes as high as 6% or more, sometimes as high as 10% some years of students will say no, that they oh, really wow. questioned their decision. And that is a terrible thing to, to see. And um, I like the fact that more students are taking gap years and doing other things before going into medical school because I mm -hmm. think that that helps for people to be sure and to think that they're doing the right thing. But, um, you know, you asked me what I would tell people. First of all, this is a wonderful profession. Don't allow yourself to get cynical about it. It is an honor to do what we do. It is a privilege. And um, to remember that you're a servant. You're doing this up for, out of service to other people, you know, not for your own, you know, financial rewards. Or it can be, of course, you can have a nice, stable job. You don't have to worry generally if you're a physician about losing your job or, you know, it's a, it's a secure profession. But uh, remember, though, that you're not in it for you. You're in it for um, to serve humanity. And what, what greater thing could you do with your life? Yeah, that's absolutely, that's wonderful. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. So one of the last things we like to do on this show is um, we turn the tables. We've, um, you've shared so much about your life, so many of your aspirations and your goals and just all of the wonderful things about your career. Um, now, I would like to turn the tables and tell you some wonderful things about you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, first of all, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you and to hear your journey. Um, but we've met once before. We met um, in the lobby of Wright State Physicians. I was on my way to a rotation um, back in the, in the physician's office. And, I remember. Um, I remember, yes. Yes, um, you were. You just asked me what I thought about the school, what what I was doing. You asked me about my life and what I was hoping to do, and that really stood out to me, and that really struck me as something as very, very important. Um, when I was going through my original medical school journey, um, the reason that Boonshoft had really stuck out to me was because it seemed like the physicians and the um, professors and everyone involved in the medical school genuinely cared. And that was absolutely what I was getting from you when mm -hmm. we talked. You were just focused on me and you just wanted to see what my experience was like and what, what if any, like what you could do better and how, how, you, how your role would be. And that, I thought that was absolutely amazing. And I know from other students I've heard they really appreciated how much you've been reaching out and just you want to be a presence for your students mm -hmm. and you want to see what you can do to make this community better. And I think I speak for so many of the students and the faculty at Dunshoft when I say that we're so grateful to have you here and we're so grateful to see, to work with you and to do all these amazing things. Well, I am delighted, and I do remember that day, and <laughs> it was, I think, my very first week here, and honestly, I was wandering around the building looking for human contact, <laughs> <laughs> and I was so glad to find a student, um, and, you know, I've tried to find other opportunities to meet with students in the flesh, and 
you know, um, they're limited because of safety, yeah. but I was able to greet some of the uh, first and second years, give them some Cheryl's cookies and, and meet them. And uh, then, you know, we've been doing a lot of Zoom things, which is, uh, mm -hmm. we're all tired of that. But um, we're keeping safe. We're going to, I'm going to be out in the parking lot greeting some students as they get tested uh, this week. <laughs> we're testing students oh. as they come back in. So um, we're looking for opportunities anywhere we can. And so it's, I know it's exciting to be a fourth year student and I wish you all the best as match is approaching. Yeah. Match time is approaching. Is. Dr. Weber, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to be a part of this podcast. Uh, like I said so many times, we're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. And it was my pleasure. Thank you.